This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Last week, you know, it was Easter Sunday and we talked about the great redemption and how that's available to us. So what happens after the Lord dies and it rises from the dead? What's bigger than that? What, what comes next? What are we supposed to do next? What do we do with all that? What's the process? Because it seems like you reach the pinnacle and you, you know, then it's maybe just a downhill slope and you really don't know what to do sometimes. But there's a lot that we need to know and there's a lot that we need to be doing. So that's what we're going to talk about. And so we walked this, if you guys have that picture of that little boy, just kind of put it up there and leave it for a few minutes. Um, We walked with the Lord through some great times over the past two weeks. We walked with him when things were good when it seemed like he was on top of the world and popularity was very high and the masses were get, sorry. I can't hardly look at this child without choking up, but, um, and the masses were gathering and good things were happening. People were listening to his voice and People were benefiting from his miracle-working power, either as witnesses or actual healings in their own lives or their own families. Um, And people are calling him son of David, and people are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And people are lining up the roadway when he's going by, shouting out praises to him and throwing their garments down on the ground for him to crossover, which was a tremendous sign of respect and appreciation. And um, it goes from that to within just a few days being falsely accused, being drug into the judgment hall, being tried and falsely convicted and being sentenced to death. And it's a huge, huge swing of events and it's a huge, huge emotional swing for everybody who's involved in it. Even if you read it today, you just feel the complete turnaround of everything during that, those hours. Well, he comes out of the grave, and that's where we were last Sunday, and he is the only human being ever who, he's not the only human being ever to come back from the dead, but he's the only human being to ever come back from the dead and still be alive right now. So that separates him out from everybody else, okay? And so he's alive and then he, is, he has personal contact, is, is witnessed by more than 500 people. Between the time he comes out of the grave and the time he ascends back to his father, either was seen or spoke to or both more than 500 people. Now that's pretty powerful evidence, right? It's, I don't know how anybody can disbelieve when you have more than 500 eyewitnesses because if you go to court these days and you have one 
eyewitness that can be validated, that is credible, a judge or a jury will convict the person who's on trial based on the testimony of one eyewitness, right? In this case, we have more than 500 eyewitnesses who see Jesus or talk to Jesus post-resurrection, pre-ascension. But then he ascends to heaven, and then we land upon the question, what's next? What are we going to do now? Well, if we backtrack to before he even died, you'll find some very, very powerful instructions And that scripture that Sully opened up with, that I asked him to open up with, is one of those, and we're going to take a look at it today. A very powerful, poignant lesson that he teaches them. And it's a lesson not just for them in that moment that they're living in right that minute with their families, with their lives, with their jobs, with whatever. But from then on, it's a lesson that is supposed to govern their lives. This is the power of the words, instructions of Jesus Christ, is that the lessons he taught, he continues to teach because they are timeless and eternal lessons that are designed to govern our lives. And if we submit ourselves to that, we will find ourselves living inside the heart of God, hearing his voice, seeing his revelation, and enjoying the benefits of being his son or his daughter. So, what are some of those lessons and what is it we're supposed to be doing? <clears throat> this child in the, uh, in the picture, two weeks ago was alive and today is not alive. Okay? He's from Illinois and he, his father called 911 one morning, said, Our five-year-old is missing. I came in the house from a doctor's appointment, went to his bed to check on him. He's not here. Okay, it goes from that. It's one of those stories that we hear far too often these days where there's no explanation for why he would have disappeared. They bring in uh, dogs around the house, and the dogs only alert on the house itself, which means he didn't leave the house alive and go anywhere. He's just not there. And so they press in and press in and investigate, and they go through some phone records between the mother and the father, and they realize one or both of these parents is responsible for what happened here. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details because we do have some kids sitting in the room. All right? I want the kids in the room to feel protected and safe and everything. It's kind of the point of the day. But this child was a victim of mistreatment by the parents and ends up gone. And and so then after the evidence piles up, then the parents decide, well, we'll just go ahead and tell you where, where he is. And so they find him 10 miles from the home and wrapped in plastic in a shallow hole in the ground. So a lot of things preceded that. A lot of 
defects, involvement in the home, a lot of 911 calls, a lot of reports by neighbors, a lot of reports by the school nurse and by teachers and classmates, but as happens sometimes, things just move on and nothing serious happens. There's no serious response and there's not sufficient evidence. And, you know, one week before his death, um, he's in a school nurse's office and has a, a bruise on his hip and the nurse wants to know what happened. And the first thing he says is, it was our dog. Our dog hit me or my do our dog bit me. Or, uh, but he's stumbling and stuttering. And, and then it's, well... Uh, my brother hit me with a football. Maybe it's a football. And then they keep talking, and ultimately it becomes, well, maybe it's when mommy hit me with that, but maybe mommy didn't mean to hurt me. Still innocent, still childish, still trying to protect mommy, who's a monster. Right? And so here we are, another national news story of a child who's not protected, a child who is produced but not protected, a child who is produced but not prepared for the world, a child who is produced but is not seen as a treasure and somebody we should invest in and somebody we should raise up in the way they should go, a child who's sleeping in a room where there are multiple animals and feces and urine all over the place and the place stinks and, the, and there's no good food in the house and the house goes for weeks without electricity and running water and, and people producing children who will not take responsibility for what they produced. Do I sound angry? Well, we can't help little AJ. He's okay now. He's being protected now. He's being given overly generous amounts of love and care. What he deserves now, he's all right. We don't have to worry about him. But we've been issued some instructions about what we're supposed to do. This is one of the next steps. This is the answer to what's next. We're being compelled, y'all. It's very important for all of us to know, not just me, not just Kendall, not just her team, not just a few people, but we're all being compelled and we're being pulled and we're being tugged toward something in Thomaston, Georgia. We're going to, over the next couple, three weeks, we're going to share with you stuff, vision that's opening up, and it's not being, it's not our genius ideas, it's not Jeff plan, it's not, it's walking in obedience day by day and watching a vision open up in front of us and compelling us to come and get involved in the vision, and we're going to be sharing some of that, and we're going to be talking about who are we and what are we here to do. And why, why, is, why is this becoming part of us or the major part of us when we didn't even ask for it? So put the, put the scripture that was read at the beginning back up there and let's take a look at that. And, and initially, 
It may be the question, well, what does that have to do with this? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Listen, you've all heard that. If you've been in church, you've heard that preached on. And the way it's generally presented and the, and the faith talk that you generally hear and the, and the promise that if you'll just ask God, he'll give you whatever you want. Forget about that. That's not what we're going to talk about. Forget about that. We're going somewhere else. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask Him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. If you knock on the door, the door will be open unto you. And then moves right into a lesson about giving bread to kids instead of giving them stones, giving fish to kids instead of giving them a serpent. And all of this is part of one lesson. It all ties together. You don't separate the first part from the second part. Because there is power in the promises that if we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, the door will be open. But there, just like everything else in the kingdom, there are requirements. There are stipulations to the promises. The only thing that comes without stipulations is the promise of salvation. The only gift from God that is free is the promise of salvation. All you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God. Confess Him, repent of your sins, receive His forgiveness, and you are born again. That's the end of the free gifts. Right there. Because immediately, once we receive the free gift of new birth... Then all of a sudden we have these instructions of what comes next. And everything that comes next is loaded up with requirements. And if you want to formulate one sentence to describe what those requirements amount to, it's this. It will cost you your whole life. Your whole life. As we've said so many times, this is about lifestyle. This is not about an event or an experience. You have the encounter. You have the experience. You participate in the event. And then everything after that is a lifestyle for you. And the lifestyle includes instructions which are loaded up with requirements. We like to cherry pick promises. Oh, well, God said that. I can grab that. Well, God said that. That's good for me. I can name this, claim it, and frame it because he said it in his word. Well, guess what? If you're not living and walking as an obedient son or daughter to him, that promise is not good for you. 
Are you hearing me? That promise is not pointed to you if you are not living as an obedient son or daughter in the kingdom. He is taught, listen, Jesus, when he t- teaches these lessons, is not talking to the world. Go read the Bible. He's not out there preaching to heathens in the marketplace. He is talking to those who have already decided to follow him. They're already in it. They've already said yes. They're already embarking on the way. Those are the ones he's talking to. Some of the most powerful lessons. Go go read again. I hope most of you did. I challenged you the week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday to read John chapters 12 to 20 several times. Do you know what happens in the bulk of that? You do have the account of him riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. You do have the story of the hosannas and the crowds. You do have the story on the other end of it of the trial and the crucifixion. But in between, it is chock full of instructions that he gives to his close followers. That's who it's for. Obedient sons and daughters who are sitting in the inner circle with him. Fireside disciples. That's who it's for. So, he tells us, he tells his followers, ask, seek, knock, and then he addresses requirements. Requirements. How does this work? What does the process look like? What makes it effective? What guarantees God results? He says, here's how you should look at it. Which one of you, if your child comes to the door and knocks, Dad, can I have some bread? Is going to go back into the house and pick up a rock and bring it and hand it to them instead of the bread they asked for? Nobody. Hopefully nobody, although some do. Talk more about that in a second. Which one of you, if your child comes to the door and knocks, Daddy, do we have any fish left over from dinner last night? I'm hungry. Would instead go round up a snake and bring it out and place it in his hand? Well, sadly, unfortunately, We're living in a time that more than ever before in history, children are being handed rocks and snakes instead of bread and fish. They are produced, brought into the world, and they're asking for bread. See, this is bread right here. But that's only one very small, very minor form of bread that they're asking for. Because bread represents life. In the scripture, bread represents life. It represents sustenance. It represents nourishment on a lot of different levels in a lot of different forms. When they're asking for bread, they're asking for protection. You produced me, now I'm asking you to protect me. That's what kids are asking for. You produced me, now I'm asking you to provide for me. 
I'm incapable of providing for myself. I'm a child. I'm asking for the people, the adults who produced me, to manage their responsibility and provide for me. Bread looks like love. Bread looks like an education. I'm asking the people who produce me to provide me with opportunities in life by making sure that I get the chance to be educated. Oh, nothing, nothing fires me up worse than people who set their children up to be poor and unsuccessful. Because they're just too lazy and too irresponsible to provide the children with the opportunities that they're supposed to as the person who produced them. I can't fix everybody. I can't manage all these idiots in the world. I tell you what we can do. We can take a look around us right here in our community and we can make sure that from the most solid kid in our house, coming from the most solid family in our house that has two good parents that are loving them, taking care of them, making sure they have good food and clean clothes and go to school and participate in a social life and recreation, all the way from that one to the one that is experiencing neglect or abandonment or malnutrition or lack of educational opportunities or lack of social opportunities or lack of recreational opportunities. And we can, across the board, make sure that we understand that that child is knocking knocking on our door. If they're here, they're knocking on our door. And what they're asking for is bread. I'm not getting bread at home. Do you have any bread? Tracy and I took in a little boy a few years ago. He was three when we took him in. The reason we took him in under legal guardianship is because his mother was a drug addict and a prostitute. And she was leaving, going out at all hours of the day and night, doing what she did and leaving a three-year-old at home by himself. And he was coming out of the trailer they lived in and making his way through the trailer park, knocking on doors. And people come to the door and he's standing there, his little three-year-old self saying, I'm hungry. Do you have anything I can eat? You have something to drink. That's common, common these days. So we look across the board, whatever their status is, wherever they're coming from, whatever they're living with or in, we say we're here to respond to the knock, to open the door and to provide them with bread. Whatever form, shape, substance, taste, texture, smell it needs to take on for their individual situation, we provide 
bread. I stopped at Kroger on the way down here and went in the bread section and got all excited. And by the time I left, I had all that in the bug and didn't even really realize why it had happened. So I thought, well, let me take it to church since I bought it. Bread. See, Jesus loves bread. Talks about bread here. Talks about bread in other places. Declares himself to be the bread of life. Is referred to by others as the bread of life. Breaks bread and breaks up fish and gives it away in mass feedings in miraculous fashion. He loves bread. He understands that bread is life. Bread is opportunity. Bread is nourishment. And when he teaches us how to pray, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Give us today our daily bread. And you know what? He's not just talking about a loaf of bread that's made out of flour and whatever else it's made out of. He's talking about whatever it is that you need in your life. Pray and ask God, give me today my daily bread. Give me today an opportunity. Give me today the breath in my body. Give me today good speech from my mouth to be able to impact people. Give me today finances so that I'll be able to take care of my own needs and reach out and help take care of somebody else's. Give me bread, whatever shape, form, taste, texture, smell it needs to take on. It's our daily bread that he wants to give us and all we have to do is ask for it. And then we in turn listen for the knocks and we open the door and we're prepared when we open the door to give away some bread. If you who are evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? He sees that we still have an evil nature even though we're following Him. We still battle the world. We still battle the sin nature. And He sees that and He's like, okay, but you give good stuff to your kids. How much more? If you will walk in obedience to the instructions, will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you? That's where the promise becomes reality is when we decide, I'm going to give away bread. And so I position myself that God can give me the bread that I need. And I love this right here. We know the golden rule. But the golden rule exists in practically every religion there is on earth. But there's a difference in the way it's presented by Jesus. He says so, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. You see, in other religions, it's not stated that way. It's the other way around. So in everything, don't do to people what you don't want them to do to you. That's passive. This is active. What we do is we look around and say, in my life, what would I like somebody to do for me? And then we identify a person that has a need and we say, I'm going to step out before anybody's even done anything for me and I'm going to make a decision to do something for them. And I'm not even expecting anything in return. There will be plenty in return 
But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because he said do it. And he finishes up with a powerful revelation that we must make sure we understand. This sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, do you want to know what the whole business is about? It's about this right here. Give the children bread. Give the children opportunities. Give the children love. Give the children security. Give the children a chance. Step in where somebody else stepped out. This is the whole business. If you want to see the answer to the problem, if you want to see the end of it all, if you want to know when you put the whole mathematical formula of humanity together, what's going to be on the other side of the equals mark, it is this. Identify people and listen for knocks and be prepared to invest in them bread. Whatever form, taste, texture, smell it needs to take on. That's what's next, y'all. It's been happening already and it's going to grow and it's going to advance in terms of scope. It's going to advance in terms of variety. It's going to advance in terms of details and we don't know what all those are and we don't care that we don't know what all those are. All we do is get, every, get up every morning and listen for the knocks and respond in obedience and watch the revelation open up in front of us. That's what we do. So, Thomaston, City of Refuge Thomaston, this church is becoming a lighthouse for kids in the community. More and more. I know you start looking at numbers, you're like, well, we used to have more when we were doing Friday night, now we don't have as many. That's not the point at all. We can't get lost, we can't get caught up in that. That's not ours to worry about. Numbers are not ours to worry about. Results are not ours to worry about. We invest and we pour into and provide bread to those that are here and the ones that God sends here. We will respond by opening the door and we don't worry about the rest of it. And so it's a focus and, and we've built out and I know... Most of you haven't even seen it yet, and that's intentional. We blocked off the hallway. We didn't want you to see it. We don't want you to see it today. We were all going to look at it next Sunday, okay? So if you'll be here next Sunday, at the end, we're going to walk down there together to our new kids' center, which for those of you who've been here a long time, it's going to be a wow factor for you because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like a new building, a new place. And why do we do that? Why did we decide to spend several thousand dollars, probably pushing $10,000 to redo a couple rooms and make them into one room and open it up and expand it and, and beautify it and equip it with bread because it's what we're here to do. It's what we're here to do. We could have taken the money 
and we could have ripped this carpet out and put something else down on this floor. That would be nice. I wouldn't mind it. But is that the priority when we have kids knocking on the door? We'll get to the floor, but we have to go with priorities. There are kids knocking on the door. We'll put a playground out here and, and see, listen, you can't ignore the handiwork of God in the whole process and the whole business. These kids started coming out of nowhere. And I almost entered into a, a place of rebellion against God because I was the one who said, we need to trim this thing back. I don't think we're ready for it. We need to make a bunch of rules that will prohibit some of them from coming and all that kind of stuff. And, and somebody looked at me and said, Jeff, we're standing right out here and said, Jeff, don't you remember when you stood up front and you said, let's face north, south, east, and west and pray that whoever it is God wants to send here, he'll send them? I said, yeah. And he said, well, they said, well, I think they're here. And it hit me between the eyes, and all of a sudden I shifted from let's figure out a way to not have them here to let's figure out a way to provide bread for them. So everything in process, we'll get to it. We'll get to the other stuff. We've been getting to stuff. You know, there are changes. This stage is a change. The gym is a change. There are lots of changes around here. The ladies' classroom over here is a change. The flowers and the plants along the building are a change. And, and where it comes to the kids, the more we've responded, the more God's stamp of approval has been placed on it. Starting with a great team of people to step up and say, I want to help. And then with us being contacted by uh, a school saying, hey, a daycare saying, hey, we got all this great furniture, expensive furniture. You could outfit a whole daycare with it. Do you want it? And it's donated. And then playground equipment, and we're contacted by them. We're not looking for it. We don't go after it. And they, we're just contacted. And they say, hey, we got playground equipment. Do you want it? And we go get it. And the Lord just continues to bless. And so we didn't have $10,000 in the bank to finish out a room. What happened, the Lord sent us donated items which we could turn around and sell. And we haven't spent a dime of tithe money and we haven't spent a dime of general offering money. And we, we've been able to use that to pay our bills. Everything, all these projects have been paid for because we had donated items that we could turn around and sell. What am I supposed to say about that? You know what that is? That's bread being placed in our hands because we are insistent on placing bread in somebody else's hand. That's how it works. That's what's next. So, we have kids in the room, kids in the family here that are pretty solid kids. I'd say Hannah Lindsay's about as solid a kid as I've ever known. Right? She's, she's sliding down in her chair like that. She's beautiful. She's a worker. You, ever, you do work around here, put on a project. If she's around, she's going to be getting dirty. She just wants to be involved. That's awesome. I don't mean to embarrass you, Hannah, or your family. But, but then, and we got a lot of those. We got a good many of that caliber of kids. We also got kids that are really struggling. They're struggling in school. They're struggling with nutrition and they're, 
you know, struggling in a lot of ways and the opportunities that they're going to have in life unless somebody steps in and says, hey, I'm willing to give some bread and some fish are going to be very limited. That's why I get so excited every time I get a report that a kid's average in a subject in school went from a C to a B. Because that's opportunity. That increases opportunities exponentially. It's good stuff. So, all of the above. I was raised well. We didn't have any money, but I was raised very well. My mother's my mother's on the threshold of going to hang out with my father right now. And when I look at her, I just stood over her yesterday and just gave thanks. Just thanked her and thanked God for the way I was raised. You know? And I'm blessed in that. But I can't just sit over here counting my blessings when i got kids around me who don't have that. And say, well, good luck. No. No. So... I love what's going on. I know I seem agitated this morning, but this this story of this child has been on my brain and and other stuff and kids I know about right here. You know, we have a big responsibility, so we take our agitation and our aggravation, we turn it in a positive direction, and we impact those we have opportunity to impact. I bought this bread, so I guess what we'll do is I want each family in the house, and if we run out, we'll just say, you know, We'll run out when we run out. To get a loaf of this bread and take it home and figure out some way in the next couple days to demonstrate your commitment. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell Kendall. You don't have to write us a letter. You don't have to whatever. You figure out your own way inside your own household. How can I use a loaf of bread as a symbol of my commitment that I'll open doors and I'll place bread and fish in the, in the hands of kids as they come along. Whether that's giving financially to support it, whether that's volunteering, wh whether it's tutoring, whatever it is, I'm in. That might be that you take this loaf of bread and you, you take it and you just give it to a needy family. It may be that you make some sandwiches and give them away. All right, I'm going to ask you to do this because this is something we focus on at City of Refuge and something I believe in. I didn't buy cheap bread. This is really good bread, okay? Uh, it's not great value white. Now, if you eat great value white, I'm not, I'm not judging you, okay? But our kids need good nutrition, don't they? They don't need the cheapest of everything. Some people have to do that because that's all they can afford. I'm not going to judge people on that. But when it comes to our efforts to place bread in literal bread, literal food, into our kids, I would prefer that we do it at a more nutritious and a higher level. We used to pack up bologna sandwiches or hot dogs. I'm talking about bar S wieners that cost 98 cents an eight pack. And take them out on the street and distribute them. And one day I looked at my brother and I said, do you know how wrong this is? We are punishing these people by feeding them. And we stopped doing that. And we started buying better bread. And we started putting a higher quality of sandwich meat on it a higher quality of hot dog on it 
Uh, is there such thing as a higher quality hot dog? I don't know. Um, I guess so. <laughs> Miss Shirley said, yeah, beef jumbo. <laughs> so it's just, you know, I think, and, and again, you know, we cook chicken nuggets, we cook fries, we cook, that's all fine. I'm not talking about just cutting out anything. and everything. You just have to have a good variety, and it needs to include some fruits. It needs to include some vegetables. It needs to include some higher quality stuff. And, and we actually are, have turned down at least one offer of food that could have saved us significant money because it just wasn't quality food. I believe in it that much. Okay? So if you will, you know, if you're going to participate in this, just do it at a high level. You, know, you, ever, go, you ever go through a drive-thru and you order a hamburger and the picture of the hamburger is immaculate. And then I went back in this Dairy Queen one time because they had a picture of a chicken sandwich that looked great. And all the produce looks crisp and fresh and it's big and fat and the chicken breast is nice. And I got that thing and got down the road and opened it up and it was pushed flat. The whole sandwich was about that thick. The tomato and lettuce were like they'd been microwaved. And the bun's hanging half off the side. I just turned around and went back I, and I, I, I put that thing on the counter and opened up the wrapper and a little girl came over there and I said, do you see that? She said, yeah. I said, is that supposed to be the same thing as that? <laughs> and she just cracked, cracked up. Do it, put it together nicely. Use something quality to put on it. Put forth a little effort into it. Just symbolically of your commitment of quality ministry to people in need. Okay? If you, if you haven't been to Tour City of Refuge in Atlanta, and we're starting to take on the same kind of a, 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 an appearance here. Somebody, you know, if you say to somebody it's a homeless shelter, immediately probably a certain image comes in their minds. Forget about it. Our homes for ladies and for kids are beautiful, beautifully decorated, homey. They're clean. They're bright. And look, shouldn't we do that if it's the kingdom? Shouldn't we do it right if it's the kingdom? I think God honors that, and I know people are blessed by it. So that's about all I got. This is a weird kind of a Sunday talk, but uh, I've had kids on my mind all week. I've had this little boy on my mind. I've, I read this scripture um, uh, this week, and uh, thinking about the things that happened between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, the things he had to say, and he fed disciples bread and fish out on the seashore for breakfast one morning and it's all just hugely symbolic for what's going on right here in Thomaston so I thought I'd share that with you and we're we're pumping up it's springtime we're going to have the kids here during the summer doing summer day camps and lots of activities and we're going to do this thing right and I'm glad you're part of it so for your household if you want to grab a loaf of bread uh, after I pray do that um Announcements really just, we've decided to, I wasn't at Fireside Discipleship yesterday morning at the breakfast because I was in Tennessee, but I heard it was really good. Glad everybody came out who did for that. And now we've decided, and really under Anton and Dean's compulsion, I think, to make our Wednesday night men's class, Fireside Discipleship class, 
And, um, and then maybe once every other month or so, we'll have a, a Saturday morning breakfast. But we're going to ramp this thing up and do it more seriously. I'm really blessed to have some tremendous men here with us to, uh, you know, to lead and to, to disciple and be discipled. And it's a really cool thing. Some great friends to me and great and, and churches need that. So everybody good? I appreciate you. Uh, let me pray. Your giving can happen at the back doors as you leave. And don't forget your bread. Father, you've been really good to us today. You've been really good to us this past week. You've taught us so much through this season of thinking about the Lord and his ministry and his, his death and his resurrection, his ascension, all the great things he had to say to us before he left and the Holy Spirit that he sent to us. And, uh, and empowered us to work and live in, in community and to bless other people. I thank you for Thomaston's kids, for the ones who are part of our work here and the ones who are not, that you would just protect the children and send people along to those who are most needy who can start to provide that bread that's missing, that, that sustenance, that reassurance, that love, that compassion that's missing out of their lives. And that you would turn parents around, that you would change hearts and minds and cause them to see uh, what a great, great chance they have to, to help uh, raise up another human being who can make a good difference in the world. And we love you and we pray for your blessing, your protection, your peace, your power, your provision throughout this coming week. In your name we pray. Amen.